podcast you're about to hear is true. The names have not been changed to protect the innocent, the guilty, or anyone else. If you're interested in the same type of discussion related to organized crime that you hear in the traditional media, stop listening now. If you're interested in thinking differently or learning something, turn up the volume on your computer, smartphone, or mobile device. This is The Racket Report. Here's Frank Morano. Welcome to another edition of The Racket Report. I'm Frank Morano. This is a podcast where we so often try to cover issues related to the criminal justice system and organized crime and where those issues intersect. Uh, today, we're going to have a look at a bunch of the most horrible criminals you can imagine. Murderers, kidnappers, thieves, assaulters, rapists, drug dealers, drug users, people that have done crimes you can't even conceive of. And yet, so many of the people that we're about to talk about, in spite of the fact that they've either been convicted or admitted their guilt in some of the most egregious crimes you can conceive of, these people are out, not in prison, out among us in the general public. How does that happen? And why would the government permit that? How do you get that special status? How does one get one of those get-out-of-jail-free cards? Well, today we have a real treat because the person I am privileged to talk to is not only a good friend that I've had the privilege of knowing for, I guess, about 18 years. She's become a social media influencer. She also happens to be the eldest child of John and Victoria Gotti, the one and only Angel Gotti. Angel, it's great to talk with you. How have you been? You're a sweetheart, Frank. I'm good. How are you, Frank? Doing wonderfully. Doing wonderfully. Now, a lot of folks are going to be curious about what it's like growing up as the daughter of John Gotti. He always seemed like such a larger-than-life figure. I never got to meet him in person, but even just through media reports, it seemed like he was admired by some, loathed by many, and just constantly in the middle of all these battles. Were things different for you growing up than a typical child growing up in Brooklyn or Queens? No. No. No, my father was, but I have to just say that I think he's loved by many also. Oh, I, um, I said that. Yes, I said loved by many. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, you mentioned his name in Howard Beach. To this day, people start genuflecting. <laughs> Exactly. And I mean, we grew up just like everybody else did. Only, you know, my father was very strict. He was strict. So, you know, that part is I'm happy that he did that now, but I didn't like him back then. Like I was 15 and I wasn't allowed off the block. You know, he was very strict. But I mean, we were normal like everybody else, I guess. Because you're the oldest, and I know a lot of people may be familiar with your sister because of her work in journalism and the reality show that she starred in, a lot of the other things that she's done. A lot of people may have been may be familiar with your brother because of his own experience with the mob and the movie that he's made and him becoming sort of a public persona. A lot of folks may not be as familiar with you. And it's funny, I ran into someone years ago who said of you that you are the most normal of any of the Gotti children because you're the oldest. And everybody else had sort of, they would treat your siblings a little differently, either better or worse. Did you find that to be an experience that people would treat either you or your siblings better or worse because of who your dad was? I don't think so. 
I mean, don't forget, they were more public figures. Right. I wasn't. Right. You know, and I was happy like that. You know, I was happy that nobody knew. I remember I got pulled over once by a police officer. And no, 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 I had, I think we were involved in a car accident, a friend of mine and, and myself. And we were in Brooklyn and somebody went, it was like a hit and run. They went right through the stop sign, hit my car and took off. And I'll never forget, the cop said to me, are you related? You know, so I said, yes. You know, when he got my license and he said, well, who are you? You know, I said, <laughs> he goes, are you related to John? You know, I said, yes. He said, well, who are you? I said, I'm his daughter. He said, what do you mean you're his daughter? I said, I'm his daughter. He goes, I never heard of you before. I go, exactly. <laughs> you know, and he turned out to be one of the, ne- you know what he did, Frank? He begged me, please, 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 could you, I want to call my mother. Could you talk to her? My mother loves your father. <laughs> now, what year was that? Was he in prison at that point or was he still out and about? Oh, yeah, he was in prison because it was 1994. Got it. Got it. Now, yes, yeah, so he I, was in prison. Now, your brother John always told me that growing up, you were the tougher of the two of you, that if somebody ever messed with him, they'd have to answer yeah. with you. But then as you guys got a little older, then your roles kind of reversed a little bit. Yeah, yes. Well, when I was really younger, I was bullied constantly, constantly. And my father used to get very, very upset with me. You know, you have to hit them back. You know, you, what is wrong with you? Why aren't you hitting these back? Why are you just staying there while they beat you up? You know, you get crazy. And then one day, I just, I did. I don't know where I got the nerve. I finally just said, that's enough. And I beat the crap out of someone. And then, you know, like, this big, she was much bigger than me. And she expected that she was going to beat me up again. And then and I turned around, and then, whoop, that was it. Oh, so I, I never, ever would let, any, let anyone ever go near my brothers and sisters, ever. Well, I think that's an important lesson about standing up to bullies in all sectors of life. You um, And that's what I'm doing right now, Frank. <laughs> well, I, I want to ask you about that, and it dovetails pretty closely with an issue that was at play in both your father's trials and your brother's trials, and that's the issue of informants and cooperating witnesses. Now, I know in the four trials that I covered where your brother was on trial, you were a regular presence in the courtroom. You were there just about every day. Did you watch your dad's trials as well? No. No, he didn't want you to, or you didn't want to be there? Your mom didn't want you to? Well, first, at that time, we had little babies, you know, uh, my sister and I, our children were young, but he, no, he didn't want any of us there. You know, he was different. But my brother, there was nobody keeping me out from going to my brother's trials. And if you remember, I never missed one day. That's right. Yeah. And I was there every day. And that's why, like, I can call out the lies from, you know, Johnny Light, because I was there every day. I saw what went on. You know, yeah. I heard all the testimony, as you did as well. Yeah, no, as, I mean, to me, what John A. Light has been trying to do in terms of rebuilding his own reputation is really amazing. We're going to get into John A. Light in just a bit, but it is 
interesting now that somebody that got out of prison in part because of the criminal justice reform that was passed during the Trump administration was Sammy Gravano. Now, Sammy Gravano was integral to your father's conviction back in 1992. Now, there's a chance he might have been convicted anyway because there was some other evidence, there was tapes, but certainly his testimony is considered pretty important in the annals of criminal justice history and mob history. Now he is this mob expert going on primetime television, doing these specials, has this podcast, which is listened to by hundreds of thousands of people, supposedly. What is it like for you to see Sammy Gravano try to reinvent himself as a sort of a media star? Well, first of all, I don't watch him at all, never. I've never seen one of his pod, whatever you call right. them, shows. Same. I've never seen one. I've heard about one. I've heard about it because he did one about an innocent child that he killed, 16-year-old Alan Kaiser, and I am very close with Alan's sister. So she called me one day, like, crying because he turned it into, he's a liar. And he turned that boy's murder into that Alan was a junkie. He was only 16 years old. He was no junkie. He was an innocent person, an innocent bystander, and he was killed. And meanwhile, the person that they were trying to kill, he survived and ran, but poor Alan got killed. And Gravano tried to make this as, Alan was a moron for running towards them. Meanwhile, he was shot in the back and that the kid was a junkie. And it was basically like this kid deserved it. Now, that girl lost her brother in, I think it was 1974. That family had no idea why he died or who killed him until 1991, I believe, 1991, when the FBI rang their doorbell and told them, look, this is who killed, you know, Alan, and I'm sorry, but there's nothing you can do about it because he's going to testify against John Gotti. Mm. Mm. Wow. So there is nothing that comes from Gravano that I believe. But here's the thing. Why I never really discussed Gravano is because I don't know everything. I don't know what he says is true, what is not true. I know one thing. He constantly says that, he became a cooperator and a rat because my father was going to throw him under the bus. That I know is absolutely 1,000% false. So who's going to handle those things? There's like three projects in the work. That's my brother, John. Ah, interesting. Now, yes. and the thing with Gravano that's so interesting is I'm not sure why he has any credibility. This is someone who essentially did no prison time for murdering 19 people. And then you'd think when he gets out of prison and gets a new chance to get a new lease on life, he would lead a monastic existence and lead the life of a monk. Instead, he chose, the first thing he chose to do was set up a drug trafficking ring. I mean, talk about a way to squander your second chance. Also, we now know from testimony that's come out from even other cooperators that Gravano was by no means entirely truthful 
in what he told the government, either in his court testimony or in his meetings with FBI agents. He left out all sorts of people that he wanted to protect, whereas when, and this is one of the things that I enjoy with what you're doing now with We Push Back, the prosecutors on direct examination with these rats, they always ask them, are you going to tell the whole truth? And every one of them, like they're reading from a script, says they are. But Gravano, by everyone's own admission, basically acknowledges that he has not told the truth at the time that it was that he was supposedly such a valuable informant. Exactly. And according to, like, say, you know, my dear friend, Chris Casparosa, who created the com website, according to him, uh, Gravano's little shows that he does now are not the same stories he told in his book, and they're not the same stories he told on the stand. Interesting. So, see, I haven't watched exactly. any of them. I haven't watched any of them either because I have such an issue with elevating him and giving him any credibility, but that I'm not the least bit surprised by that. Aside from the cooperating aspect of your father's case, do you feel like whether we're talking about his trial or his subsequent incarceration? And look, I think the record is clear that, you know, your dad was a criminal. I I don't think even his staunchest defenders disagree with that. But do you think that he was dealt with fairly by the government? No, No, not at all. Not at all. Look, my father never denied who he was. You know, like my father was who my father was. And I never claimed that my father was a saint. But you let a man out of prison for 19 murders that he admitted to. That's 19 he admitted to. For someone who supposedly, according to Gravano, has five or six, whatever it was. And you let him back out. And then once you got my father in prison, they kept him in solitary confinement for 12 years. That's how long he lasted before, you know, he died of cancer. But even with cancer, his face and skin disintegrated off. The skin was off of his whole neck and chin. They still tied him to a bed in solitary confinement. Unbelievable. I mean, was that done just to humiliate him, to embarrass him? I don't know why it was done. I know that my father, they put him, he got to go to a hospital once or twice. And when I got off the elevator to go see him, there were guards with shotguns. I mean, there were guards. Like, they were, it was such a joke. You know, like the scene that they created. He was sick with cancer. He's tied, his legs are tied to the bed. His hands are tied to the bed. Where was he going that you had to put five guards with guns? You know, it was ridiculous. And I'm guessing he didn't exactly get the finest medical care in prison when he was suffering and dying from cancer. No, not at all. They wouldn't, he wouldn't ask for anything. That's what drove us crazy. He wouldn't let any of us help him. We couldn't do anything for him. So that's what he wanted. And that's what he got. One of the uh, one of the things. No, that's okay. One of the things about his case, and obviously I wasn't there for those trials, but in looking back at it, and I heard the radio interviews that Bill Kunstler, the civil liberties did lawyer, did at the time. That's so troubling. Is it seems like the government really, even when they had the evidence on their side, they almost went out of their way to rig the system. I mean, denying him 
the opportunity to have the lawyers of his choice and coming up with this is sort of a, a cockamamie excuse to deny him those attorneys. That's not exactly what we learn about when we study the Bill of Rights. Exactly. I mean, they took his attorney away. They wouldn't let how afraid they were of John Gotti. They wouldn't let him have his attorney. Then when they get him into prison, it's solitary confinement for the whole time that he's there. It's solitary confinement. Like, and every visit had to be recorded with a camera, and a prison guard had to sit there with us. We went into his cell. The guard was in the cell with us. Now, I agree with you that that's just horrible conduct that no human should have to endure, irrespective of... They took his commissary, Frank. They took away his commissary. Now, what do you say to the critics listening to us right now, Angel, who... And look, and I'm sure Rudy Giuliani's become a regular listener to this podcast. I'm sure he's going to be jumping up and down and saying, well, that's what happens when you're a criminal and a mob boss. What do you say to people like that? What I say to Giuliani is, well, didn't they knock your door down at six? Uh, you know, it's funny. I do think what he's going through now has given him a whole different appreciation for the tactics of the Justice Department and the federal government. It's so funny that you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. What I say is, don't pretend that we are better than any other country out there. When this country will say things like, Oh, that country tortures their inmates. Well, you do too. We do too. Tell people the truth. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You, as you mentioned, you were a daily presence at all four of your brother's trials. It's really amazing to think that the federal government spent this amount of time, energy, and effort after four trials in five and a half years and got zero convictions. But what do you think the key differences were between your brother's four trials and your father's trials? What were the differences? The difference is is that my brother admitted to something, he pled guilty to it, and he went to prison. And while he was in prison, and my father was sick, and then when my father died, my brother wanted to not follow in my father's footsteps. My father wanted to be, my brother, I'm sorry, wanted to be home with his wife and children and all of us. Okay, so the government didn't care. They brought him to trial the three times, right? And then they had Mikey Scars, who was supposedly his best friend, which, okay, they were very, very close, say, I could never put any drugs or murders at John Jr.'s feet. Along comes now, that wasn't enough. That was four trials, three racketeering and one. I forgot what the other one was. It was like parole a parole, parole violation or something. Yes, right. So that was four. Now comes a fifth one, and the star witness is a pathological liar named Johnny. Like, you were there. No, I. Did I, the jury. 
did the jurors tell you that he was the least credible out of everybody? Yeah, I interviewed four of the jurors after that right. uh, after that final trial in 2009, and that was verbatim what they said. And these were four different jurors from all walks of life, and they ascribed him very little credibility. And I think what's troubling when you talk about Mikey Scars de Leonardo, when you talk about John A. Light, people by their own admission have participated in horrible crimes, in the case of A. Light particularly, because at least with de Leonardo, you can make the case that his testimony might have been integral in convicting other people, but they wouldn't have been able to convict but for his cooperation. A. Light was considered not only not credible by the jury in your brother's case, but also in the first case that he testified at, the jury in the case of Charles Carniglia, they didn't convict Carniglia of the crime that A. Light tied him to. That was the only crime they didn't convict him of. They didn't find him credible either. And yet, in spite of the fact that he's admitted to his this participation in a lifetime of crime, John A. Light and Mikey Scars de Leonardo, they're both walking around on the streets. How does that make you feel? Well, my brother's home. I feel horrible for the other people that these people put away. You know, like, I don't know, like, if Mikey Scars' testimony was truth or not. I've never sat down with my brother and said, listen, was Mikey Scars telling the truth? I have no idea. Right, you don't have a flow chart with a checkbox that says, okay, that's true, that's exactly. true, that's inaccurate. Got but, but John A. Light, I know. And, you know, you know, we knew he was lying. We knew we couldn't believe what was coming out of his mouth. Well, and so, and I'm not going to rehash the whole trial, but, you yeah. know, there was actually documentary evidence, letters by his own hand that he wrote to your brother, which contradicted the very things that he was saying in court. So, I mean, it's not our opinion or the juror's opinion that he was lying. I mean, it was I mean, it was embarrassing the fact that the federal government hinged such a big murder case on John A. Light. By the way, for somebody that doesn't like the Gotties, it is interesting that John A. Light, when he chose to write a book and capitalize on his lifetime of crimes, instead of writing a book called A. Light's Rules, he chose to write a book called Gotti's Rules. Do you think exactly. that he's trying to capitalize on your brother's fame, your father's fame? Frank, that's all he does. He mm. does not do anything without saying the Gotti name. You know, and now his testimony from back then has totally changed today because today, if you watch him, he was John Gotti Sr.'s right-hand man. Did you know that, Frank? I, I was under the impression that your father had never even met John A. Light. No, no, he did not. He's never had one conversation with John A. Light. But now John A. Light is very mad at Sammy Gravano. So he has changed his whole little gimmick that he's got going. And now he was John Gotti's hitman, John Gotti Sr., and the only reason why he didn't really know Gravano back then is because my father kept him from getting to know Gravano because my father was going to use him to take Gravano out. Oh, boy. You know, but again, the thing that I find so troubling this is, is that the crap he's telling is that the government allows things. this. I mean, yes. you, you would think once you publicly lie about the very aspects of the deal that you made with the government, which require you to tell the truth, you'd think at some point the government will at least put out a statement correcting the record. No, they don't. You know what they do? 
the former FBI agents get him interviews and hook him up with magazines and they co-sign his life. This is just unbelievable. Like this, it's like the twilight zone. This guy is totally out of his mind with the things that he's saying. And like, there's no proof of you ever even having a conversation with my father. And yet there's no audio, no video, no, there's not even audio or video of you with my brother after 1991 and yet this is what he's going with this is his gimmick today this is his thing today is that he was my father's right hand man Mm. not not my brother's so tell me about your youtube channel i know on twitter you developed uh, quite a following first for tweeting about animal rights then for tweeting about the issues of prosecutorial misconduct which we've spoken about and issues about these rats and then ultimately the trump presidency and you developed a whole following of trump supporters on twitter now you've got this youtube page that has thousands of subscribers you do a lot of very interesting videos on there a lot of compelling content people want to find it they can just search angel Gotti on youtube comes right up tell me about this what prompted you as you said you spent most of your life not exactly lusting for the spotlight what prompted you to launch this youtube page okay well i had found it by accident by one person who said to me he sent me a message and said i'm going after Johnny Life today. And I said, okay, I'll watch. And then from there, I met these other two people and this one person called Mob Rats Exposed, who he exposes all these cooperators that lie. And he does like all shows on them. And it was very, you know, he's very, very entertaining, very funny man. And so, you know, how many times could I rely on these three people? to, you know, say, no, that's not true. You know, like when I'm in their chats and I say, that's not true. You know, a life lying or John Panisi's lying. That didn't happen. And then one day I just said, you know what? I started getting harassed by another cooperator who's a defendant in a lawsuit that I have now. And I said, you know what? I'm starting my own channel. And I was afraid to do it because, you know, I never did this kind of thing before. And so I started to get a little following and then I, you know, started to defend my family and myself, myself. But it's not because it goes from, you know, I could be defending my family and saying something about these, you know, John A. Light or this other person. And then it can be like, I've had like a fun night trivia. Yeah, no, no, it's great. You've branched out into movie reviews and to a bunch of other things. Again, I know uh, animals have always been a passion for years. You do some of that on there as well. And the response seems to be very favorable. Folks, everything I've listened to is very compelling, either dramatic or it's very amusing. And a lot of the folks that have heard about it have also given you pretty high marks. Tell me about, I interviewed recently on the radio, Dominic Crea. We spoke about this website that was basically aggregating content from a bunch of channels like yours of folks that are trying to expose the exposers, expose the people that are out there in society 
who, by the way, even after they get this get-out-of-jail-free card, most of them do what Sammy Gravano did. They go out and choose to commit new crimes. And it goes to show, you know, they haven't learned their lesson. Why wouldn't they go out and commit more crimes? Tell me about the We Pushback movement, what it is, if people didn't hear my interview with Dominic Crea, which you were kind enough to excerpt on your YouTube channel, and what it is that you guys are hoping to achieve with this. Well, for each one of us, we push back may mean, you know, may be different to all of us. To me, with we push back, it's like all these years, these informants, like Johnny, like, you know, they get on the Internet, they lie, they bully, they bully the families of the men that they testified against. And like I've been accused of every disgusting thing there is by a light and his friends, you know, just for calling him a liar. You know, I've never cursed. I've never acted like a man. You know, I've always answered and said, you know, you're a liar. This is your pathological liar. So it was in return I've gotten that, like, he posted on Facebook that I went to a sex toy party with his brother, Jimmy, and who I've never even met. I've never even met his brother. But like these are the, the things that that he has said on social media. So we push back is something that like gives the families a place where you can show everyone the lies and that behavior of these people, of what they're doing, that, you know, they're not changed simply just because they testified. They come, you know, they come onto social media and if you call them out for lying about your family member they will go after you and put your face on pornographic bodies, you know, put my face on a porn image. Like, I'm 60 years old. I've never, you know, I've never encountered trash like this, you know, been accused of any of this, the most degenerate things you could think of. This is what they're doing. And so for me, pushback is we push back. Is that place where I can go to that? Here's all my stuff. This is what it is. These are lies. You know, but for someone else who's a member of We Push Back, it might be that they make all these, you know, funny videos making fun of them. You know, it's like all different content creators. You know, one content creator is talks about mental health issues. But for me, that's what We Push Back is for me. It's like, you know, a place where I can go to and say, here, look, come and watch me. This is what's going on with and, these cooperators and how the government lets them get away with it. And if people want to uh, learn more about some of the other content on there, and you could feel differently about the cooperators than Angel does, certainly, but if you want to review this material with an open mind, go to wepushback.com. There's a ton of interesting material on there, and it'll cause yeah. you to learn a lot about the criminal justice system and how essentially the FBI is willing to cut a deal with almost anyone if it means getting one of their targets. But it is interesting. What sort of changes would you like to see the government make in utilizing these cooperating witnesses? I think we all realize that occasionally you do have to use informants and cooperating witnesses as part of conspiracy investigations, but you don't want to necessarily encourage lying and offer a free get out of jail, you know, a get out of jail free pass to a lifetime of crime. Is there something else that could be done if you were changing the system? What would you suggest? You see, that's the thing. 
they don't encourage telling the truth. They don't. There could possibly be a brand new trial for Dominic's father because of two cooperators who, after they testified, they went on to social media and they told a whole different story of what they told when they were on the stand. Mm. So the thing is, you'd like to see, I mean, I guess, greater accountability in the things that these cooperators tell the FBI and then prosecutors put on the stand. I mean, the trials, like the four that your brother had or the five that your brother had, they're actually so incredibly rare these days because the government puts almost everybody that's facing a high-profile case in the position where they feel obliged to take a plea because otherwise they face such a punitive prison sentence and a lot of bills that a lot of people just can't afford to pay. So a lot of times just having these cooperators be part of the indictment that in and of itself makes it very difficult to take these cases to trial. I'm just wondering what can be done about that. If you were reforming the system, what would you do? Well, see, like we push back is it it's like in the beginning stages mm-hmm. right now, you know, and I believe it will get bigger and hopefully like future jurors will see these so called changed men, you know, for what they really are and look at the other side of this. Just because the government puts somebody up on the stand and says, oh, he's a changed man right now. No, they're not changed men just simply because they testified. It's a lie. You know, listen, how do you change the uh, system? I don't have a clue. Mm, Yeah, neither do I. It's a broken system. It's broken. Neither do I. Hey, there was an article back in February that uh, I think as a result of uh, some of your advocacy in this area, that you were involved in this $10 million cyber spat. I think this had to do with a lawsuit that you were involved in. I only have sort of a vague recollection of it, but remind us, what was the story here? Okay, well, I did bring a lawsuit against one of their cooperators who was harassing me, lying about me, lying about my son, lying about my brother, my father, and putting my face on pornographic images, harassing my nieces, harassing my friends, harassing my best friend, another person who he was going to testify against, his sister, who's my best friend, harassing her. I mean, so basically, this should not be allowed. This shouldn't be allowed. You know what? You testify and you cause people to go away. You should not be going after the families of the men that you put away. No, I I mean, I think you talk about adding insult to injury. (laughs) That's the very definition of it. Uh, So what is the status of that lawsuit now? I'm a mother. I'm a grandmother. I, I, I'm aware of that. No, it's reprehensible. It's reprehensible. It's and by the way, you've never been accused of a crime, convicted of a crime, or anything else. So it's not no. as exactly like you have the criminal history here. Never. But you know what? The two things that I have been accused of, like real degenerate things, were by two degenerates. That you doesn't know, surprise me in the least. Yeah, John A. Like and the defendant in this lawsuit now. So what's the status of that lawsuit now? Well, we'll see what happens, but we're going to court. We're going to court. Because I'm not not allowing this. I'm sorry. You're not going to do this to me. I don't blame you. I've never done anything like this in my entire... I've never... 
Frank, I'm 60 years old. I've never taken a nude photo of myself. That's so disgusting. Like, I can't believe these. I don't know who raised these people. You know, like, you want to talk about my father's against these, this, these, that. But yet he raised his daughters properly. Oh, no, without a doubt. I, you know, I know you and your sister. They don't fight with women. My brothers don't go on the Internet and fight and call women's filthy names and go after any. My brothers don't even go on the Internet. Yeah, no, they're uh, smarter for it for that reason. Yeah. Um, you know, we've talked a little bit about the cooperators here. We've talked a little bit about the FBI's willingness to let people that they're partnered with commit crimes. And this has happened repeatedly. We've seen it with and, and not just in mob cases, but uh, since we're talking about mob cases, it's happened with Greg Scarpa. It's happened with Frank Sparacco. It's happened time and again uh, where, you know, people like Whitey Bulger are in some in some instances aided by FBI agents in committing their crimes. But let's talk about the prosecution. Let's talk about how prosecutors behave in individual cases. Can you think of any specific instances of prosecutorial misconduct that you witnessed in any of the cases that you paid close attention to? Yes. Well, in my brother's, uh, don't you remember, Frank? Oh, I I remember. I remember somebody tried to get you fired, right, for yeah. playing a audio. Yeah, you know that was a really again. It takes it'll take me ten minutes to discuss it, but essentially the government was claiming, and the prosecutor in that case, Miriam Roca, who was actually going to ask you about it, the prosecutor in that yeah. case, claimed that you were trying to pass secret mob messages to your brother in prison. And they claimed that your brother was saying, was saying, I'm a captain. What happened? As if yeah. you were being the person that was <laughs> no. breaking to him the news of, of him, his demotion in the mob. Meanwhile, there was an FBI agent who actually gave me a CD and I played it on the air. And once you play it on air or listen to it at all, it's very clear that he's saying, honestly, what happened not, I'm a captain, what happened? There's no reference to mafiadom or anything criminal at all. And that's just one example. And that's why I just, I cannot understand how the people of Westchester County chose to elect somebody like Miriam Roca, who is at exactly. best unstable and at worst, well, a lot worse than that, as their DA. Yeah, but Frank, what had happened was that we were talking about my aunt and uncle because my aunt and uncle were breaking up. And so my brother said to me, I don't understand, or something like that. He said, what happened? He never, if my brother ever said to me, I'm a captain, I would have been like, what? I would have been like, what are you talking about? You know, I, my brother never spoke like that to his sisters or his mother. You know, so I would have, I would have, you would have heard me say, what? You know, what are you talking about? We were talking about my aunt and uncle, and he said something like, I don't understand what happened. You know, it's so interesting. I One word, and I'm not sure how you feel about him these days, but it doesn't matter for the purposes of this conversation, but one conversation that has never left my brain was 17 years ago when the U.S. attorneys, the assistant U.S. attorneys prosecuting your brother in that particular case, 
had secretly recorded your brother in prison, secretly recorded him in prison, yes. including yes. conversations with his attorney, Richard Raybach at the time. And in conversation after conversation, which was made without his permission, there's audio of him basically saying all sorts of things that contradict the government's case, all sorts of things that make clear that he withdrew from organized crime years ago. And then the government was trying to suppress the very recordings that they made. And then we break, and your brother's attorney, Jeffrey Lickman, said to me at the time, he said, did you see that? These guys are even more dishonest than we are. And those words have stayed with me, you know, for the last 17 years, because I think a lot of us grow up, maybe not you, but a lot of us grow up thinking that the prosecutors and the FBI are the good guys when it seems like too often they're just as willing to cheat as anybody else. A hundred percent. What I saw in those trials, I, I used to go home with such anger, you know, such anger. Like, I, I'll never forget them sitting there saying, convincing the judge, no, we don't want this audio played for this reason, this reason, and this reason. And sometimes they would, you know, they would win that. But then when they gave this summation, they would tell the jurors, yeah, notice they don't want you to play. They don't want you to listen to the whole audio. I'm like, what? You just fought with the judge not to let the, let the jurors hear that audio. But now you're telling them, yeah, they don't want you to hear the whole audio. Yeah, and, <laughs> no, that, that is for sure. Hey, before I let you go, I know a lot of folks are going to want me to ask this question. There have been so what? many motion pictures and miniseries depicting your father, your brother, your sister, even you, over the years. If you had to pick, of all the movies that have been made about your family over the years, what would you say was the most accurate depiction? Not necessarily the, the, uh, the the Travolta film. The Travolta, 100%. Travolta film was about 85% accurate. That's pretty good by Hollywood standards, right? The closest. The 96 one? wasn't accurate at all. But I understand everybody likes that one so much better, but to me, the Travolta one. That was the that was the Armand DeSante film you're talking about. Yeah, the one from ninety six was Armand DeSante, but now there's he's doing part two. So I'm hoping that one is going to be much better than one because now they have the medical records, they have everything that went on. So this, I think, will be the best out of all of them. Well, that's pretty uh, That's pretty interesting that he's coming back to play your dad again. I enjoyed that first film a great deal, even though it might have been inaccurate. Right. I enjoyed that first film a, a great deal. I thought from a dramatic perspective, it was uh, it was terrific. Yeah. Hey, I imagine this YouTube channel and We Push Back and being a mom and a grandmother is taking up a lot of your time. What do you do with the rest of your time these days? What, what do you do for fun? Well... First of all, I'm, I'm so surprised. I didn't know that you listened to my channel. Yeah, as often as I can, absolutely. And pe- I yeah, subscribe. Well, People should surprised. subscribe. That's so nice. Thank yeah. you. I didn't 100%. know that. And I enjoyed the, see, uh, I retro, the retro TV trivia theme songs. I did it much better than I expected, actually. Really? Yeah. Well, listen, Jerry is a video editor. He's a dear friend. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have any of that. And if anybody's interested, go to, oh, God, what's his thing? Jerry at the movies, 7-7, no, I forgot. Well, we'll we'll find it and we'll put it in the the note. I hear it is. 
MovieRama777 at gmail.com. He's excellent. He does all of that for me. Well, he that, does that game show, The Retro. I'm so glad you like that. Oh, no, that's right up my alley. I love, you know, old retro game show. And, uh, Wasn't and that Stevie great? Like that. I Absolutely. So, that was a lot yeah, of fun. Yeah, I, I was so happy with that one. And now I have a new one Friday, which is going to be like a Wheel of Fortune. Oh, that's that'll be fun. That'll be a lot of fun, and oh, people wait, should it's subscribe. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, people definitely should subscribe. And again, if uh, yeah. if they're interested in seeing the channel, just search uh, yeah. Angel Gotti on YouTube. So you did evade my question a little bit. What do you do for fun these days? Or do you garden? Uh, do you uh, do you cook? Do you uh, do you shop? Do you uh, what, what are you doing for fun these days? Yoga. Okay. No. How about this? Maybe you can get an idea. My car is going to be three years old in. November, and so I was allowed to have 36,000 miles on it, right? Because I leased my cars, and I have 13,000. <laughs> wow, okay. All right, so not necessarily so a world traveler. You? I don't go anywhere. <laughs> I'm always home. I'm always doing something. I'm always thinking, and, you know, with this YouTube thing, with the YouTube channel, I'm, like, really into it. I want to get it really much bigger and do a lot more of these shows. So I'm always sitting here writing and figuring out things to do. Wonderful. Well, I look forward to seeing you in person soon. And please give my best to, you know, to your sister, your brothers, and your mom. And keep up the good work because the work that you're doing is a perspective that is not being seen or heard anywhere else. So if you don't do it, I don't know that anyone else will. So uh, thanks for all the work you're doing. And thanks for coming on with me. Frank, thank you so much. And please, same thing with your mom and Rachel and the baby. Thank you. Same thing. I can't wait to see him. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it very much. Angel, thank you so much. And uh, and we'll do this again soon, I hope. Thank you so much. And anytime, Frank, thank you. Thank you. If you want to... Do us a favor. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please share it. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast as well. Tell a friend. Uh, you can also catch me on the radio on WABC every weekday morning from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. Be sure to subscribe. Tell a friend about it. Share it. And until the next time we meet in cyberspace, I'll see you on the radio.